Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, the official podcast of the High Speed Alliance, taking you further, faster, together. We are setting our course for freedom and legacy through mastery of business, finance, family, and lifestyle. Welcome to the High Speed Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Forrest Bryant. I'm excited to have as our guest today, Chaley Ridge with Ridge Lending Group. Chaley, how are you doing today? I am fantastic, Dr. Bryant. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be able to share today with your listeners. Well, I appreciate you being here. Didn't technology great? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ringing you from Alabama all the way up to uh, the great Northwest up in Oregon. I yes, heard the sir. weather's, I heard the weather, I heard it's a cold day up there today, right? <laughs> They're expecting about 106 degrees today. It's going to be an all-time historical record. So we're finding our way indoors, I think. Maybe we'll go to a movie later or something. Well, that's great. Well, uh, things, things are getting crazy. I know we, 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 we chit-chatted a little bit about the solar eclipse that's coming up. I think we're both excited about that, but um, we're, we're both going to be kind of tuning in to see how that goes. But, oh, yeah. um, so, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about today about real estate investing and your specialty, which is helping real estate investors finance many of their purchases. So I, I know you've been in, in, in business, the, the business that your father started, you've been doing it over 20 years and he was there 20 years before you. So you, in 40 years of lending, y'all have, y'all have seen a lot of ups and downs in the real estate market. We have. For me in particular, um, the last cycle, and I think most would agree that, that most investments do go through cycles, um, but my edification, I think, really came from you know the crash, the big crash of 0809. So I was able to get firsthand those ups and downs, um, low, low downs, but um, we weathered that storm, and I, I feel grateful for um, the experience now looking back. I wouldn't say that, you know, 10, 12 years ago, but now um, I appreciate having been given that opportunity to learn from. Well, and I know uh, you and I have talked a little bit about your background and just knowing uh, that was a a very traumatic event for, for a lot of people. And, you know, we're, we're we're students of the cycles and and students of um, learning from the past and, 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 being cognizant of where we are right now in the market and, and things seem a lot of the people that I talk to in the different groups I'm in, and I'm sure you've got, I know you've got your uh, tentacles into just about every market across the United States with, with investors. I know you work with a lot of different uh, big investor groups and also with individual investors. And so you see a lot of what's going on in the market. And I know we're just kind of you know, keeping an eye on things and, and what we learned from last time is really going to be helpful to, you know, whatever happens in the future, right? Oh, always, always. Um, if I can just maybe comment on that, I think that one of the things, well, no, there's, there's more than one. There's several factors that I think make the last cycle and this cycle um, a 180 of each other. Um, prior, that, that particular real estate investment play was almost all about appreciation, uh, I can tell you of all the properties that I held, and I may have said this to you before, Horace, but of all of those investment properties, not one of them cash flowed by varying mm-hmm. degrees, obviously, right? 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there, maybe more, maybe less. Um, but it was all appreciation, and we did very, very well. Um, conversely, this cycle is all about cash flow. Um, a few other details leverage was much higher back then. You were putting 5 and 10% down max. Now you're putting 20, 25% down. 
interest rates obviously were very different back then. They were in the sixes. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're in the fours. Price points, uh, price points back then, I think average were 250. Now they're 80 to 120. So for all of those different variables, this particular cycle, I think, is, a, well, there's no risk averse. It's just not, that's not what you you get into when you're investing in anything. But I think that um, moving forward, people are a lot more protected than they were from a crash of, of the sort that we found in lending and housing all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a, a, a really good kind of synopsis of the differences because a, a lot of people think it, you know, it, that, that aren't educated and they're looking, they're saying, oh, it's just like, it's just like 2008, but most of the really knowledgeable real estate investors, you know, they're saying, you know, it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same as it was last time. And there's a lot of reasons why um, a lot of those that, that, that you just mentioned. So, um, and I, tell us a little bit about, I know you, it, you, you yourself are a real estate investor and I know you've had um, a lot of investments uh in the past. And then I know, you know, w- tell us a little bit about your history and kind of, you know, where you are now. Yes, sir. Yeah. With your part, with that kind of investing side of it. Yeah. So uh, I think you mentioned we're a second generation company. My father started it um, almost 40 years ago. Uh, I've been doing this for about 20 myself. We are licensed nationwide. So we've got a nice broad footprint and we focus almost exclusively on the non-owner occupied side of lending. So we can do everything, the VA, the FHA, owner-occupied, of course. We've really carved out that special skill set in the investor or non-owner-occupied lending space. Um, I think most uniquely, to your point, is that, uh, yes, I am a fellow real estate investor. So that, that perspective and the, of the last 20 years, the good and the bad, um, I've got plenty of, of both of those stories to share But I think that I've been able to leverage a lot of that and use it in meaningful ways in which to educate our investors. And I would say probably that's our biggest value add as a company is the education piece that we try to to put out there. Um, For every client that we work with, if they think there's uh, use or value in it, they will have an opportunity to work with me personally um, to talk about higher level details uh, related to their goals and as that applies from an underwriter's perspective uh, and their qualifications. And, and more importantly than all of that, then I teach them how to optimize those qualifications so that they continue to secure best and highest use terms. So overall, I would say if there's a takeaway, it's that education piece that, that we promote as a company um, that I'm probably most proud of. Yeah, that's excellent. And, and I like to, um, when I, when I've, have specific knowledge of working with somebody. I like to make sure that my listeners know that. And, and, um, so, you know, I'd like to give a plug to you and to Ridge Lending because I, I am a client and I have used you for, uh, quite a few, um, uh, investments that I've made and it's, and you've made that process. That process is never really fun <laughs> just so everybody knows that, but, uh, you make it as, as, as easy as it, as it possibly can be. But, um, so, you know, let's, uh, you know, just to kind of dial it back a little bit, um, you know, we, uh, in this first section, we just, this is just kind of the, the, the public session. So we're just going to kind of keep it on the high level. And then on the back end for the members only session, we go a little bit deeper, but let's just kind of back up a little bit. And, you know, let's talk like if, if somebody's new to investing and, um, you know, they're new to real estate investing and they're looking at purchasing some single family homes and they want to, they want to finance, you know, just maybe give us just like a little 
high level overview of, of uh, you know, just, you know, what's going on in the market and, and, and things somebody that's, that's looking into, uh, you know, kind of dipping their toe in the water and getting a few rental properties might need to be thinking about. Sure. What to expect, setting the expectation. Um, great. So I would say that for somebody new uh, to take the time and go through the pre-qualification prop, uh, process with us or, you know, whomever they may be working with is to your point, um, quite invasive, right? So there's, there's quite a bit that goes into qualifying for an investment property. Your DNA samples are likely to be required. <laughs> um, I, I use the, the analogy, it's like turning a battleship in a creek. So anyone that's heard me talk, they probably heard me say that. And if you visualize that for a second, um, you know, a lot of people will agree that that's what it feels like. Uh, I would tell the, the newbies out there um, to, to get through the prequal of lending first. Make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row with that because it is probably the most um, intensive part, I think, about acquiring real estate with leverage. Um, and then within qualifying, understanding what product type you qualify for. Is it going to be the conventional loans, which we refer to here as the golden tickets? right? This is the highest leverage at the lowest interest rate on the planet. And just to clarify, by conventional, that just means the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans. Mm-hmm. Um, is it that that they start with, or do they need to start with, with specialty products? Maybe their debt to income ratio isn't intact and we may, we may, we may need to move them over to um, a different lending uh, tool. Maybe they want to look at um, commercial type blanket loans. Uh, So there's a a variety of different spots that they can start. I think generally more often than not, we're going to drive them toward the conventional side of things. Should the qualifications be there? Um, Because there's, there's a finite number of available loans for those that we want to maximize first. Um, But yeah, getting the the pre-qualification done first, understanding what the long and short-term goals are and coming up with sort of a plan or a strategy that meets those goals uh, is where I would probably set that initial expectation where to start. Yeah, that sounds great. So uh, just going just a teeny little bit deeper there on that, like, you know, can you address credit scores and the debt to income? You mentioned that a little bit. I mean, just give us some general guidelines there for somebody that might be looking at at their conventional uh, Fannie Freddie loans. Absolutely. And this actually will play into for any any of the individuals that end up working with us and and go through that education piece. Some of this will come up again. But the three components that any individual probably needs to focus on most right Uh, in underwriting, there's lots of moving parts, but the most heavily weighted to qualify conventionally are going to be the credit, the assets and the debt to income ratio. Now, before I get into those specifics, let me first comment that when we talk about conventional loans, there are 10 loan spots available per qualified individual. So you have 10 of these golden tickets, as I call them. And of the 10, there's two very distinct underwriting books, if you will, that we must adhere to. The first set of rules and guidelines apply to loan spots one through six. And then there's a new book or second set of guidelines that apply to investors in the seven, eight, nine, and 10 loan spots. So that's important because those three criteria change depending on which book you're operating in. So if we start with credit first, um, I would tell you that in one through six loan spots, there's really no hard and fast rule for minimum credit score requirements. It's sort of vague actually. Um, I've been able to take someone with a a 650 credit score and get them approved for a loan, 
but they, they came with compensating factors. So someone that might have a slightly lower credit score, as long as they have strong assets or a, a low to reasonable debt to income ratio, that would be perfectly fine in those first six loan spots. When they move into the seven through 10, the requirement changes. They raise the qualification bar and it is now hard and fast. The individual must maintain a minimum middle credit score of 720 or greater to qualify in the seven through 10. Um, so that's credit. The assets, uh, kind of like credit, there's those two boxes that apply. Um, we need to be able to show, depending on whether they're putting 20 or 25% down, just as a sidebar to that, for single family residents, an individual can actually leverage to uh, 85% loan to value in the first six loan spots. Um, so for those that want to kind of stretch the dollar a little bit further, that 85% loan to value might be attractive noting that um, anything over an 80% loan-to-value carries with it PMI, that's private mortgage insurance. Um, the factor's not horrible, though. I would I'd probably give that off um, individually, and interest rates are going to be slightly higher on those loans, too, but uh, the numbers usually work out with the cash flow. So um, the credit, uh, excuse me, the assets. One through six, we need to be able to show source and season for your down payment, Okay, sourced and seasoned means that over two months of bank statements that have been supplied to us, I need to be able to prove that any deposit or large deposit listed in there originated with the individual. So if there's transfers or they've sold stock or maybe they sold a, a, um, a car, whatever it might be, any large deposit, I just need to be able to show it originated with the individual. That's sourced. And then seasoned, it just needs to have been in there for um, 60 days. So if there are large deposits that we can't pay for trail, that's okay. They can use those, but only after that 60-day period of time has passed. I don't want to see a large deposit that I can't source until after it's been in there. It's just the, the balances that are showing, not the deposit anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the down payment requirement. There's also a reserve requirement that comes into play. The reserves are going to be equal to six months worth of PITI, that's principal interest, taxes and insurance on the subject property, which is the property that is in question for purchase. And they also need to show an additional two months worth of the PITI for any subsequent rental property only, the primary residence doesn't count, but uh, rental property only that are held within those first six loan spots. Okay, so that's six months PITI on the subject property, the one that's in question, plus an additional two months for each subsequent rental held in the first six spots. When we move to the seven through 10, they raise the bar again, it's now six months PITI for all rental properties. Okay, so that's assets. Um, debt to income ratio, the threshold is 50%. Okay, 50% um, of the income that we've been able to extract from what they supplied us divided by the monthly liabilities found on the credit report only, well, almost only. There's a few elements that aren't found on a credit report that must go into a debt to income ratio calculation. Those are gonna be things like if you're a renter, if there are HOA dues on any of the properties that you own, and if you pay taxes and insurance on any particular property separate from the mortgage, those are the only three exceptions to the, that rule of liabilities that we count. Otherwise, if it's not in the credit report, it's not counted in the debt to income ratio. So for example, things like um, utilities or cell phone bills or property management in our case, 
those do not get included in the debt to income ratio calculation. Um, again, 50% is the threshold. We'd like to see a DTI closer to 45% or less, but with those compensating factors, again, 50% is approvable. Compensating factors in this case would be high credit score or strong assets. So that's kind of a, a quick overview of the primary components that an individual um, needs to have in order to qualify. That, that 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 that's excellent. And some uh, some people, if they're if they're not used to hearing those terms, their 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 brain may be spinning a little bit. So sure. if uh, just uh, you know, if you're listening to this for the first time, you know, you know, some 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 easy first steps. You know, make sure you know what your credit score is for you and your wife, and then also start looking at that debt to income. You want the income to be as high as possible, and the debt that's reported on that credit report, you want to be as low as possible. Those are just some kind of easy things to do um, before you even start it. To, to, to look at what, what the asset may be. So there's some, some things that need to go through that, that prequal process. So, um, you know, kind of taking it back up to, to, to a high level there. Um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, how we feel like uh, the, the, the credit market is a little bit different this time than last time, but just the real estate market in general, uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you see in nationwide? How do you, how are you feeling about things? What are you hearing? Yeah, from a lending perspective, you know, it always seems to be, you know, three steps forward, two steps back. You know, if I look back um, from, let's just say, 2010 to, to when we, we sort of started to see things move a step forward, um, I'm starting to see uh, loosening of guidelines, more allowances here and there for um, criteria to qualify, but then they take a few things away. Um, the other thing that I'm finding most um, prominently is that the alternative funds for long-term mortgages, right? So let's say for an individual that's maxed out their conventional loans, they've got their 10, they move on to specialty. I'm starting to notice that the specialty um, investors and qualification in terms are starting to become more competitive to the Fannie and Freddie, which is super exciting for us to have other uh, real legitimate ways to fund these things. Uh, with any luck, Fannie and Freddie, you know, will not be the only um, mortgage-backed security that's purchasing these 80% LTVs at four and a half, 30-year fixed. I'm hopeful that, that some of the alternatives are going to start playing at that hand again. Um, for those of you that remember, within the, the 08, 09 crash, all of those um, Secondary market investors, Lehman Brothers, AIG, all of those guys went away. And what we were left with were just Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that were repurchasing these mortgage-backed securities. Well, I'm finding that it appears that we're moving in the direction where we may have some additional options to just the Fannie and Freddie at those really competitive rates and terms. I'd say that that's, from my perspective, um, where I'm seeing things go. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, just so our listeners know, and, and you mentioned it earlier, but the, um, the change in the maximum LTV that was earlier this year, correct? Didn't that, that bumped up to the 85 on the, on the, uh, investment products? You know, they, they've had it for probably about a year and a half, but they increased it from only, um, four finance properties to six just recently. So mm-hmm. 85% it's for single family residents only. It doesn't apply to the two to four units, but we can go 85 all the way up to the sixth finance property, which is the new part of that. Yeah. And so, and um, there's also, I mean, it just seems like uh, they're, they're loosening credit and, 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 and credit is, is uh, we, we went through that, you know, that really credit tightening 
process after the crash where everything was really locked up, but it's, it's, it, it, they're loosening, they're continuing to loosen things up, right? I think so. I think they've been fairly responsible. I think that after the crash, the knee jerk was almost as irresponsible as what got us there um, in terms of the, the tightening of that credit. Um, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm seeing the same, the same things that you mentioned, the, mm-hmm. the, that credit is in a responsible way um, is, is been promising. Okay. So, um, you know, tell us, um, you know, what's, what, what's the, what's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate investing I would say or that you've seen not to put you on the spot? Yeah, you know, no, no. I'm, I'm happy to share my experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I would say I, I would have diversified more, not just in um, demographic because we had properties all over the country, um, but I would have diversified more in property type and between appreciation and cash flow. Now, you know, it wasn't as prevalent when I was um, formally active. It really was appreciation, but I wish that in, in going back to hindsight's 2020, um, I would have had less negative across the board than, than I did um, and less appreciation. You know, it's funny though, when I'm talking to my clients uh, these days, I find that when I ask the question about priority of, um, what they, they absolutely need to get out of the investments, let's say appreciation, cash flow, and tax benefit are the top three that most people are concerned with. Everyone starts with cash flow, rightfully. Mm-hmm. They probably go to tax and then appreciation is last. And I feel like uh, even though it was one of my mistakes to the, the, the opposite, I feel like appreciation has kind of got a bad rap. I still think that it is a viable and, and substantial play in investing and so long as the property cash flows, right, there mm-hmm. should be some consideration, maybe 30% of their holdings, 20 or 30% of their holdings, where they've got properties that are in those higher appreciating markets. As long, again, don't mistake me, as long as the property still cash flow, I think that the appreciation is um, often discounted and it shouldn't be. Right, right, right. And, uh, and, and I totally agree with you. And I, and a lot of the investors that I talk with now, you know, everybody's really focusing on cash flow. but it seems like if you have a mix of properties in there, like you said, you know, if you have some, some older properties, they're not going to have that, that, uh, appreciation upside as much as maybe a newer property in a nicer area has probably got a lot more, uh, upside, but, you know, balancing those in your portfolio with, with, uh, possibly, um, some uh, duplexes or, or, or multifamily, uh, those kind of things really kind of give you a nice diverse portfolio, right? Agreed. Absolutely. And so you'll find that, and you, you probably will agree with this for us, but the higher the cash flow, the lower the appreciation and vice mm-hmm. versa, right? The higher right. The yep. lower cash flow. Um, but if you've got 10, let's just use our 10 conventional loans, eight of them are the, the high cash flow, lower appreciation, keep two of them that, that flip flops that, that you've got, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's only $200 a month cash flow or whatever, but you've got, you know, the Sunbelt States where the appreciation play is going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, let's talk about, um, networking and, you know, how, how, how you meet people and how you, um, you know, I know you're, you're, you're a member of, uh, of, of some masterminds and, and you like to network and meet people. Um, you know, if somebody's, you know, out there listening and they're not in one of those types of groups, you know, what, what would you say? Well, the internet is an amazing thing for, for something like that. Uh, social media, I'm not a huge fan. I just, I'm old school that way, but, 
um, you know, your social, your Facebook and, and a Google search, you probably find all the information you could ever want on uh, real estate investing. And there's a lot to learn, a lot to know. Um, I think aligning yourself with the appropriate support, um, kind of like you're cultivating, well, exactly like you're cultivating here, Forrest, is, is super important. Um, you've done the work. Um, you know who the real players are, the ones that, that are, are providing valuable um, ad and service. Um, yeah, podcasts, listening, and just education, just keeping yourself in the front of the people that, that have been doing this for, you know, the last 10 or 20 or even 30 years and, and learning from their mistakes is, is what I would comment there. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, um, you have Chaley a favorite quote or a favorite book what you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I'm reading the boys on the boat. Uh, you'd asked me that earlier and, and that's actually the book I'm reading. It's well, actually there's two, hold on. I, I need to comment on the second one. Um, so I have a teenage daughter um, and, a, and an almost 12 year old son. Uh, the funny comment that I make about that is my 14 year old daughter is 14 going on 20. And my 12 year old. <laughs> I've, I've got one of those too. I've got a 15 <laughs> going on 20. Woo. So there's a book actually um, that, that someone had recommended and uh, I'm forgetting the exact title, but something to the effect of get out of my life, but first can you drive Cheryl and I to the mall <laughs> is the name of the book. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the, the primary book. And then Boys on the Boat is a kind of a fun read. But my quote, um, there is a Martin Luther King quote that resonates with me. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy always speaks to me and I try to to remember that when things get tough or you know it's easy to be to have morals and 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 a certain way of life when things are easy not so much when things get you know a little mm. gnarly. so I always try to remember that yeah absolutely uh, I, I agree and, and resonate with that as well um what's your definition of freedom um my definition of freedom What's that mean to you? Total flexibility of time. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. Well, Chaley, we could do this all day long, but we're kind of wrapping up the, uh, the public session here. So we're, we're going to go deeper. Don't, don't go anywhere. Um, but if you're, if you're listening and you, you want to know, more about Chaley, uh, how would they get in touch with you, Chaley, if they want to know if, the, if, if somebody's interested in, uh, you know, if they're an investor and, and um, they want to get in touch with you, how, what's the best way to do that? There's three ways they can do that. Our website, if they want to check us out there, www.ridgelendinggroup.com. They can call us at 855-74-RIDGE. That's 855 or they can simply shoot an email to info at ridgelendinggroup.com. I'm actually on that distribution, so I would see it come over. Our front-end team will, will make initial contact probably, but any one of those ways um, would be uh, a way to get in touch with us. You've been listening to the High Speed Podcast. To read our blog and to learn more, visit our website at www.highspeedpodcast.com.